Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast with your hosts, Michael L. and Lee M. This is the show where we provide experience, strength, and hope through interviews with members of the recovery community. We are not affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, although you may hear them mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Welcome to the show. I'm really delighted to have Sergio A. joining us today. He found recovery early in life, went back out, and spent a lot of his time in bad places and, uh, well, wrecking a lot of his past. And today's reflection is all about the treasures of the past. Sergio shares a powerful story about how he's turned his life around and leads a life of service in all areas of his life. Proud to know him. I hope you enjoy the episode. Sergio, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mike. It's really um, a pleasure and an honor to be here. I'm so glad to have you on the show. Um, today is January 28th, and as we always do, would you start us out by reading the Daily Reflection for today? Sure, I'd be happy to. The Treasure of the Past. Showing others who suffer how we were how we were given help is the very thing which makes life seem worthwhile to us now. Cling to the thought that, in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have, the key to life and happiness for others. With it, you can avert death and misery for them. That's from Alcoholics Anonymous, page 124. What a gift it is for me to realize that all those seemingly useless years were not wasted. The most degrading and humiliating experiences turn out to be the most powerful tools in helping others to recover. In knowing the depths of shame and despair, I can reach out with a loving and compassionate hand and know that the grace of God is available to me. The things that are are so bad in our past become so valuable for our future. Tell me, first of all, why did you select this particular daily reflection? And tell me a little bit about what it means to you. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Um, I um, The most difficult part of my my coming to grips with I had to get sober was that I was 100% defeated. Um, and I was in the darkest of places that I could ever imagine. And a lot of that, you know, um, as you know, I just recently celebrated 18 years. Um, some of this is really just coming to light to me just recently. Um, and um, I had completely given up. And um, I was I was very ashamed of how far I had fallen. And um, I struggled with that for the first couple of, of years in sobriety. Um, I thought that people weren't going to like me in the program. I thought that I was never going to find a woman that would want to marry me. I thought that I would never rebuild a career. Um, I thought that I was just doomed to live in the wreckage of my past. And what I have found is that the promises that show up in step nine, right, in the fifth promise is, um, and I pulled it up here so I can read it, uh, no matter how far down the scale we have we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. And it's it's been my mission to help other men that have fallen very, 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 very far that, you know, they can get a life back. You know, we don't know what that's going to look like, but they will get a life back. So tell me a little bit about the pain that you were feeling. Like what, what, uh, what brought you to the rooms? Yeah. So um, I had actually gone to AA uh, the first time when I was 17 years old, you know, I, I, I had a single mom who was raising three kids. I was the oldest. Um, I had a brother that was 
guess at that point four and a sister that was two. Um, really just smoking a lot of weed. Um, I think I only drank three or four times. And every time it was not a good experience, right? There was a lot of vomit. There was a lot of chaos. It was just not good. And, um, you know, growing up on the main line, mom threw me into rehab. Um, this was 1985, I guess. And a lot of the mainline schools finally were starting to realize that there were drug and alcohol problems and that they needed to get the kids help. And they confronted mom and mom threw me into rehab and I came out of rehab and lo and behold, there were probably three dozen kids between the age of 15 and 19 running around the rooms of AA in the Western suburbs of Philadelphia. And, um, I lived a good life for the next five and a half years. You know, I mm -hmm. went from a, a D student to a straight A student, graduated with honors, got into Villanova university. Um, and an interesting thing happened. Um, you know, I, 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 I was torn. I wanted that so-called college life. And I sp started spending more times hanging out in Smokey Joe's bar in Wayne, uh, Pennsylvania, right next to Villanova's university, shooting pool and drinking Diet Cokes. And I was going to meetings and a really interesting thing starts to happen, right? Like you don't feel like you fit in with your AA friends anymore because you haven't been going to meetings and you no longer feel comfortable in your skin in a bar. So I, I decided to drink. And, and I said to my girlfriend of five and a half years, um, I think I'm going to drink. You know, I'm going to give it a try. And she said, well, you know, what about those stories that you told me? I said, well, you know, I was young. Who knew? Listen, if it becomes a problem, tell me and I will quit. Right. <laughs> Well, you know, needless to say, she ran for the hills within about three months. Um, within about four or five months, I dropped out of Villanova University. Um, and it was a life of absolute chaos and misery for the next two years, 10 years, excuse me. Um, multiple arrests, multiple DUIs, multiple really, really uh, tumultuous relationships, um, and in the very end, um, I had I, I had lost my career. So somehow I, I was able to talk myself into uh, getting a very good job with one of the big Wall Street uh, firms, uh, which led to another, which led to another. And most of those led to another's was because uh, they either fired me because of my drinking or because I saw the writing on the wall. So I left. Um, and in the end, you know, the last year and a half, I had been unemployed for a year and a half. Um, I had no money. My family wanted nothing to do with me anymore. Um, I was six months behind on my rent and, um, and I started going through withdrawal, started going through the DTs and, um, I'll just never forget that day. I'll just never in, in my life forget it. Um, you know, the utter feeling of loneliness and despair, um, you know, in that 10-year period, Mike, I, I had probably tried to come back to AA a half dozen times. Um, shame and remorse. Um, there was a lot of, you know, you know, walking in, I got this. You know, you don't need to help me. I had five and a half years. You don't need to help me. Um, and then, you know, that night I'd pick up another drink. And, um, you know... 
the only place I had left to turn was to, you know, check myself into a hospital. I was going through withdrawal. This was my fifth hospitalization in about 18 months, um, all due to severe alcoholism, uh, pancreatitis, swollen liver, um, very dehydrated. Um, and um, this one was the worst. There were a lot of hallucinations. And, you know, once they finally stabilized me, I was in the ICU. This doctor just started screaming at me. Now, first of all, he was pissed off that I was there because I had no money to pay the bill. I didn't have insurance and they had to figure out how they were going to get the county to pay for me. Um, and he said, you were going to die. Do you want to die? And I remember saying to myself, that would be better than the life that I'm living. And social workers came in and they said, you know, we, you know, you know, we're going to have to transfer you to, to a detox center. So I went from a hospital to a detox center to continue my detoxification. And when I was there, they said, you know, we recommend that, that, that you, go, that you consider going to a rehab. Uh, the county will pay for it. And I said, no, 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 that's okay. That's okay. And then I thought about it and I, I had no money. My friends didn't want me. My family didn't want me. So I said, okay, I'll go to rehab. I was there for a couple of weeks. Um, still not wanting, still not really wanting to be sober, but I had no place else to go. I didn't have another means for a roof over my head. And they suggested that I go to a halfway house. And it was the same thing, right? No, I don't want to go. And I was in my halfway house for three months. And my counselor finally said to me, he said, so Sergio, like, what's your plan? What's your next step? And I st- stopped and I thought about it and I didn't know. Um, you know, and Mike, I got to be honest with you. I fumbled around this, this program for the next two and a half years. It's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a miracle. I didn't drink. Um, you know, you can say it was divine intervention. I think it was a lot of fear because I didn't know where else to go. Right. Mm. Um, um, I went from wall street to living in a recovery house in an Oxford house in the projects of downtown Allentown. Um, and I stayed in that house for two and a half years, um, started going to a lot of meetings, um, started to learn how to have friendships, um, took a job, my first job, you know, the, one of the rules of this job of this house, excuse me, was it was a working house. You had to have a job. And after my second week of not even looking for a job because I was waiting for Wall Street to call me back, they said, you've got 24 hours. If you don't get a job, you're out of here. And I said, well, where do you want me to go to get a job? And they said, Labor Ready is right down the street. So at 4.30 in the morning, I walked down to Labor Ready and they put me on a, on a school bus. So I was the only English speaking person on this school bus for an hour and a half drive to the Poconos where I stood in a Pond's Cocoa Butter factory. And as the Bottles got filled and came down the conveyor belt. I screwed the tops on the bottles. Um, it was the most humiliating, yet the most humbling experience of my life. And I realized that for the first time that I did not want to be that guy anymore. And that, um, you know, there, that there had to be a better way, right? That, you know, I had gone to the bottom. Um, and I had to find a way to the top. And the only way to find a way to the top was to reach out to men in the program of AA. Mm. So the reflection says the most degrading and humiliating experiences turn out to be the most powerful tools in helping others. Tell me about that. How is that helping you today to help others? 
you know, um, there, there are a lot of guys that come in, um, you know, you know, and I'll be honest with you, Mike, I don't sponsor a lot of men. Um, I reach my hand out to a lot of men, a lot of newcomers, a lot of beginners, um, but not all of them want help. Right. You know, and, you know, and I also tell them that the only way that I can help you is, is, is in the way that I was helped. And that was to, to go through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's just the only way I know to help another man find sobriety, but to let them know that, listen, I've been there. Right. Um, and there is a way to come out the other end, but it's going to take work. And here's my experience. Here's, you know, this is what I did and this is where I am today. Um, and I can't promise you that it's going to look that I can't promise you that your story is going to look exactly like mine, but there are millions of other men and women that have been there and have come out the other side, but they were willing to do the work. Sergio, tell me what the work looks like. What do you do when you work with another man? You know, uh, you know, my process looks, uh, again, very similar to what I went through. It's a little different with each man, right? Uh, there are some men that just can't read, right? And that's okay, right? So we'll get together and I will read. Um, there, there, there's, there's fair amount, there is a fair amount of writing. You have some men that want to come in. I'm working with a, a guy right now. Like, you know, he's like reading, like, you know, like he's texting me at night. He's got three weeks and he's texting me at night that he, he just finished step nine in the 12 and 12. And I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. We'll get there when we get there. I love your excitement, right? But let's go, let's start back at the basics. Um, um, it's, it's a lot of self-reflection. It's a lot of writing, right? So starting right in step one, right? Like, let's take a good hard look at what your life has been like over the last one, five, 10 years, right? Um, you know, write down all of the troubles you've had. And take a look at where maybe alcohol had some kind of a, a, a play into that. Um, and then let's talk about it, right? And then let's read about it in the 12 and 12 and or let's read about it in the big book. If somebody's going to a lot of meetings, uh, you know, a lot of big book meetings, I'm probably not going to read the big book with them, but I'm, then we're going to read in the 12 and 12. Um, and, you know, we'll typically stay there for a little while. Because if they're anything like me, um, it's very easy in this conversation right now to be like, yeah, I get it. But then when life starts to show up and start throwing you curveballs, it's very easy to forget about that, that, you know, that I'm an alcoholic and that my life is unmanageable as a result of my alcoholism, which was the most difficult part for me. So at around two and a half years, I was a little slow. Um, I didn't get to my fourth step till I was about two and a half, almost three years sober. Um, and it almost made me drink. Um, I, I ran from the program for, for about a month. I didn't talk to my sponsor or my friends or, um, and you know, what I, you know, when I finally got back to, with my sponsor, he said, what's going on? And I just told him that, you know, the trouble I was having with the four step. And he said, well, in my experience, if you're having trouble with the step, it's time to go back and take a look at the step before that. Right. So maybe it's the third step that you're struggling with. And so, for the folks listening that may not be familiar with the steps, what's the fourth step? So that is where you are taking um, a deep inventory of yourself um, and uh, your resentments and your fears and um, how they all played into your alcoholism, um, your character defects and everything else. That's got to be tough. 
Yeah, it's 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 not easy. Um, it's a very difficult thing to take a look at, right? So, step three is where we've turned our will and our life over to care of God, right? And knowing that no matter what, you know, something, some kind of a power greater than yourself will carry you through, right? But because because I really didn't have a solid foundation on the third step, I really struggled doing a deep door, deep moral inventory of myself and my character defects. Um, so then we started talking about step three and it became very clear that I was still struggling with the fact of, is there really a God, right? So, you know, the second step is just, we came to believe that there, that there is a power greater than ourselves. doesn't mean that you believe in a God or what the God looks like or anything like that, but that you came to believe. Um, and we realized that I was still struggling there. So he said, okay, let's talk about the first step. Let's go all the way back. And he's right. And he said, are you an alcoholic? I said, absolutely. I'm an alcoholic. Right. I mean, I was in a hospital. I had pancreatitis. I had a swollen liver. I had all of this. And he said, um, yes, but was your life unmanageable because of it? And I just stopped and I had to think about that. See, Mike, I was, I, I have been since a child, I had a very difficult childhood, um, you know, my uncle, who was like my big brother, committed suicide at the age of 18 when I was seven. Um, and then my father died when I was 10. My stepmother died when I was 12. And my stepfather walked out on me when I was 14. So for me, um, you know, there's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of PTSD. My father was a raging alcoholic. Um, and I was also the world's biggest victim. So... I really struggled with were all of my problems as a result of my alcoholism or were, were my problems because I was dealt a bad hand. Um, you know, and it wasn't until I was really able to take a deep look at my life that all of my problems centered around my alcoholism and many of them before I even picked up my first drink. Once I was able to really take a good hard look at that, so going back to working with other men is let's look at that and let's talk about that. Let's be honest about that for yourself, right? Like let's put it down on paper and then start to walk through the steps, right? Second step, you know, you know, do you believe in a higher power? Some people say, absolutely. I went to Catholic church. I got this. Okay. Well, that's not the kind of higher power I'm talking about. You know, I'm not talking about that white fluffy guy in the, in, in, in the sky that, that the church talked about or the guy that walked across water. You know, the higher power that I'm talking about is, um, and for me, many times early on and many times today, it's the group. It's the other members of, of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous that can give me advice. Sometimes it's the memories of my father and my stepfather that truly loved me, that suffered with their own demons that I get a lot of power from, right? Um, sometimes it's, it's, it's the loving relationship I have with my wife. And sometimes it just comes to me when I sit quietly um, and, and truly reflect. Um, you know, can you come to believe that maybe something like that exists? Okay, I got it. Now, the key is, are you willing to turn your will over to that, right? Are you willing to admit that you don't have all the answers and that maybe somebody or something else can guide you through life? Um, and and for many alcoholics, especially men in, in, in a world of bravado men that, that, that we live in, 
want to control everything, right? So, so to say that, yes, I'll give up control is not an easy thing, right? So the first three steps can take a while, right? Um, some sponsors like to rush guys through the steps. It's, it's not a race for me. Um, I've seen guys do that and it, and, and it doesn't work out well. You know, my own experience, I started doing the four step when I wasn't prepared for it. You've got some time now, you obviously got a good solid program and you're working with other men. What does the rest of your program look like? You know, um, I still hit anywhere from three to six meetings a week. Um, when I was, I guess around six years sober. Yeah. So back in 2008, my mother had just been diagnosed with, with terminal cancer. Um, I was making the move down from the Lehigh Valley back to the Philadelphia area. Um, I was working ungodly hours back and forth to seeing mom and still doing like 10 meetings a week. Um, so I started seeing a therapist, right? Like the anxiety was just going through the roof. And uh, first couple of meetings, yeah, she said, um, and this woman had like 35 years. And she said, so Sergio, how many meetings do you go to? And I said, you know, 10. And she just looked at me and she said, well, you know, not for nothing. And this is a conversation for you and your sponsor. But, you know, at 35 years sober, you know, um, I had to be very honest with myself. Or I think she said at like 10 years sober, she was doing the same thing and I had to be honest with herself. Is that, you know, she she doesn't stay sober to go to AA meetings. She goes to AA meetings to stay sober. And it, at, and at some point you have to find balance in your life, right? So there were uh, so many things that um, I talked about on the bar stool that I wished I had done or things that I would sit by myself on my couch depressed that I wasn't involved in. Um, so I slowly started getting involved in a lot of things in my community, right? So um, over the last few years, I've, I've been on the executive committees for a number of different youth nonprofits here in the city, quasi, you know, local government committees. I'm on the executive committee for, for you know, for the largest um, membership association for the clinical research industry, which is the industry that I work in today. Um, and these are all things that I love doing, right? Because again, I'm in service of other people. Um, I'm in service to support AA, I'm in service to support my fellow man in AA, but in general in my life, I'm in service. And nothing gives makes me feel better than that, right? Um, at the end of the day, I can put my head on my pillow and it doesn't matter what first world problem I have that's, that's kind of, you know, making the committee go on in my head and I can't fall asleep. And I start thinking about all of that stuff and it makes it all go away. So what I'm hearing is that that service transcends the program of AA into all areas of your life. That's a beautiful thing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, what advice would you have for, for some folks listening? Um, maybe they're, they're thinking about getting sober. What, what advice do you have for those folks? You know, I never would have dreamed that, that I would have the life that I have today, but I got it through a lot of work. It was, it was, it was, it was hard in the beginning. It was a lot of hard work, right? But there were men that I watched that had what I wanted. In my first year, I chased those guys that had the good-looking wife and the fancy car and the big house um, and couldn't understand why I was still unhappy. And, and then I surrounded myself with a bunch of men 
that seem to be at peace with their life. But <laughs> you know what? Um, I learned how to have um, a happy, full life from that. And most importantly, I just never gave up, right? I just kept putting one foot in front of the other. I got a sponsor. I took direction. I, 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 I started to implement those suggestions, even though I didn't understand it. Um, and slowly it started to all get better. Well, is there anything else you want to tell the audience before we wrap? If you, you know, get a chance and, and, and get yourself through this, the steps and you get to step nine and you see these promises, um, you know, they've all come true for me over time. Um, funny story about the promises. There there was a meeting that I used to go to up in the Lehigh Valley called the Promises Meeting. At the end of every meeting, they would read the promises, and I hated it. I despised it because I figured they were all full of shit and they were lying. Um, and somebody finally said to me, Sergio, they're written in step nine. If you haven't gotten through the first eight, there's a good chance they're not showing up that's the reason they're not showing up for you so if you want the promises do the work and i guarantee you they'll show up in your life sergio thanks so much for spending time with me appreciate it no thanks for having me tonight mike thanks to sergio for joining us as always if you want to find more about daily reflection podcast you can join us online at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com we always love when people subscribe and provide comments ratings on apple podcast are awesome as well you can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash daily reflection podcast. Thanks everyone. Have a great day.